Welcome, welcome. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5. KPL, glad to be with y'all today. It is a busy day, busy for a Wednesday. We've got a lot of headlines to go over today. I'm going to try to get through as much as possible, both uh, national, state, and local. So let's start with the national, something I've kind of talked about a little bit, and that is a primary night last night, particularly the Pennsylvania race, because that does have a pretty big impact on kind of the calculations, the formulas going forward for the GOP. So jumping right in uh, right now, the U.S. Senate Republican primary in Pennsylvania. You, uh, I, I told you guys there were three top candidates, Kathy Barnett, Dave McCormick, and Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz. Oz was endorsed by Donald Trump. Now, what it looks like is Oz was able to sweep more metropolitan areas, particularly along the border to his home state of New Jersey. That helped uh, carry him into the first place spot, but he's only ahead of David McCormick by less than 2,000 votes. So they are probably headed for a recount in that one. That will be interesting. That will be an interesting recount process. What fascinates me, a couple things about this particular race. First of all, Trump's preferred candidate right now sitting at 31.2% of the vote. The candidates not endorsed by Trump, including Kathy Barnett, a black woman who marched for Trump's campaign, got well over 50% of the Republican primary vote. A more narrow field probably would have gone to somebody not Trump's candidate, but Oz was able to pick up just enough to currently be in the lead. If they have a recount, it probably sticks that way. Mehmet Oz will be going into the primary. He will be face, or he'll be going into the general election. He will be facing John Fetterman, uh, who is currently hospitalized. He's, he will be having procedures. He had a mild stroke last week, but uh, he he pretty much took every county in Pennsylvania. Fetterman did. Uh, his primary opponent, there, there are three other Democrats on that ballot. His primary one was Connor Lamb. Lamb, kind of a soft-spoken, uh, he, he wasn't. He was. He didn't seem like he would be a very tough fighter. The Democrats wanted a fighter. Fetterman, further on the left, it looks like the Democrats in Pennsylvania are looking for a progressive fighter, which may or may not come back to hurt him. Met Oz, if he takes this, is Donald Trump's guy, so that is going to come with its own. Uh, baggage right there. Not to mention, Mehmet Oz has been a conservative for about 36 seconds. He's never been a conservative. There's plenty of media uh, appearances and, and, and publicly available material to show that Mehmet Oz is not a conservative. I mean, he was attacking Donald Trump up until last year. The endorsement from Trump of Oz has just been baffling. I am fascinated by the rise of Kathy Barnett. Several polls that had her surging, but she's but she fell pretty far behind. She's got 20 almost 25% of the primary vote. They had her surging to be in a pretty decent second place with McCormick actually behind. What that suggests to me is that there's excitement for Kathy Kathy Barnett, but that was a late surge and did not take into account early voting and things like that. But overall, Barnett is somebody who really seems like a true conservative believer, is not a nut, had some had some public statements that were misconstrued, and she didn't really have that experience of team behind her. 
I want Barnett to come back with a better team next time. And now she has this experience under her belt. I want her to run again. She's a good candidate. I want to see more out of Kathy Barnett in the future. If McCormick, in a recount, somehow manages to overcome Oz, a lot of the public speculation right now is that he's actually a better uh, general election candidate against uh, Fetterman than Oz is. But it's a big wave year. Mehmet Oz could end up in the U.S. Senate. And dear Jesus Christ, I just said that out loud and it actually hurts my soul a little bit. Dr. Oz going to the U.S. Senate, much less as a Republican, just seems frankly terrifying. Continuing on, we had a few other races. The other one of note, well, let's stay in Pennsylvania. One of the others of note, Doug Mastriano uh, won the primary uh, in Pennsylvania for governor. Now, Mastriano got a late endorsement from Trump. Trump did not jump into that race until last week. And Mastriano is seen as somebody who's just not going to win. He is very, very out there, has bought into a lot of the conspiracies the Republican Governors Association is not saying that they're getting involved in this race. They are looking at more, I think, winnable races is what their behind-the-scenes strategy is. They haven't jumped in yet. Don't know if they will. Now, on to North Carolina. North Carolina is very interesting. This is a solid win for Donald Trump. Donald Trump endorsed Ted Budd very early. Uh, his primary, primary opponent was Pat McCrory, former, former governor of North Carolina. But Bud did a very good job of securing vo the vote around the state. He won that primary with about 59%. So he's solid conservative. And by the way, he is a solid conservative. His Trump endorsement notwithstanding, because I know some people care about that, Trump endorsement notwithstanding, Bud is a good conservative congressman and him moving over to the U.S. Senate, which is very likely in this case, will be good for the Republican Party and, and, and for North Carolina in general. You also had in North Carolina probably uh, the biggest surprise. Let me find it real quick. Where is it? Oh, I seem to have lost it. Um, last night, Madison Cawthorn, incumbent freshman representative who has made a lot of headlines for some very erratic behavior and very erratic claims, he's out. He's now a lame duck congressman. He was beaten in his primary. He will not be in Congress after January of next year. He will be out. And there is, I think, a much more solid... This is, this is what's interesting to me. You had pro-Trump folks. You had establishment folks. You had the donor class, you had the activist class, all uniting against Madison Cawthorn in this one. Cawthorn actually uh, infuriated uh, several Republicans in his own state, and so they sought to get him out, and they did. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a couple other national issues here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation a little bit later in the show. Want to uh, quickly roll through some of the uh, national headlines. So you remember a few weeks back, I mentioned just kind of offhand, I know that other talk shows, especially the national shows, mentioned it quite a bit. Uh, Nina Jankowitz, who was being hired by the Department of Homeland Security to head up this new 
uh, disinformation board that the Biden administration was trying to put together. Well, according to the Washington Post, that is no more. Jankowitz has resigned. The uh, DHS has put it on hold, put the board, it's the, the idea of the board itself on hold. What's interesting is that the government didn't announce it. It was a scoop by Taylor Lawrence at the Washington Post. Now, I have talked about Lawrence before, and it bears repeating that Lawrence is a far-left hack at the Washington Post. And today's story at the Washington Post is no exception to the hack, to the hackery that she provides as a reporter. What is so interesting is... Uh, Let me just read. Let me just read the Washington Post spin. How the Biden administration let right wing attacks derail its its disinformation efforts. The tweet from the Washington Post. Homeland Security paused newly created disinformation governance board after its leader came under online attack. You mean to tell me. That a federal government. Run by the Biden administration can let Republicans bully them over some disinformation board. But what will not waver on opening up domestic production to decrease um, oil, uh, to, to decrease energy prices. You mean to tell me the Biden administration is going to give in to bullying over some obscure misinformation board but not do anything about online criticisms from the right over its policies, over its other members in the administration. What a very strange way of trying to spin this. If intense criticism from the internet could get a federal official to resign, then Biden, Harris, Blinken, Mayorkas, Garland, Yellen, any of these people in the Biden administration would have been gone long ago. So apparently, apparently, according to Taylor Lawrence in the Washington Post, the Biden administration caught clips on Tucker Carlson on Nina Jankowitz and decided to just close up shop before it even started. That's what you're trying to tell me. This is, this is such a dishonest framing of this story. Here's what happened. Democrats on the, on, on, Democrats on the left did not like this idea. Pundits on the left did not like this idea. Columnists at the Washington Post did not like this idea. Here's one, uh, uh, here's one column from the Washington Post. The Disinformation Governance Board is a bad name and a sillier idea. That is from noted not conservative Eugene Robinson at the Washington Post. The Washington Post should be ashamed. A better editor would have taken one look at that story and gone, uh, no, go back and dig deeper and try to find the real reason for this. But they ran with it because it's all about the conservatives, it's all about what the Republicans are doing. It's not the actual case of the situation. The actual case is you don't need a disinformation governance board. It looks very authoritarian, reeks of the uh, Ministry of Truth. And there's no way that you can actually enforce any of the thing 
that they want to enforce. You can't do it. But they want they they want a board that can tattle on Republicans and conservatives for spreading quote misinformation on social media. Never mind that Nina Jankowitz was somebody who believed every conspiracy theory thrown out by the left regarding the Trump election and other things. It's crazy. Absolutely nuts that this story would be written in with that framing, but here we are. That's where we are. The Disinformation Governance Board is going away. We will never hear about it again. They are pausing it, DHS says, but it's going away. We're not going to have it anymore. It was never really a thing. It actually lasted approximately a week longer than Anthony Scaramucci, who was fired before his job even started in the Trump administration. But anyway, 232-1542, if you want to be part of the program. The last headline that I want you guys to be aware of. In Georgia, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations and the Georgia Board of Elections are having to subpoena Dinesh D'Souza and the True the Vote CEO. Not because they disagree with the documentary 2000 Mules, but because they desperately want to get to the bottom of the matter. I know you've heard a lot about 2000 Mules, and I'm going to make some of you upset with what I'm about to say. I do not like Dinesh D'Souza. I have not liked Dinesh D'Souza for a long, long time. And Dinesh D'Souza is a propagandist. What raised a red flag for me initially with 2,000 mules is the fact that the Georgia Bureau of Investigations and the State Board of of, of Elections in Georgia asked for the information. Some of it they got, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigations basically came and said, um, this is, this. you can't verify any of this. This is uh, at most coincidental. The other problem is the cell phone data that they claimed to use came from a group that said, uh, not only did, they, did we never talk with anybody about this, that they never... We, we never had communications with True the Vote or Dinesh D'Souza or whatever, but you can't actually use our data or our information for what they claim to use it for. If I were one of the mules in 2000 Mules, I would count as two people because I have an Apple phone and an Apple watch. That would count me as two people, two of the mules. And the problem is, of the couple of examples they have based on 2,000 mules, they have verified that those alleged mules were dropping off ballots for their family members. They did a deep investigation into the folks they could identify. There are far too many questions about 2,000 mules that are unanswered, and the problem is D'Souza and True the Vote are not answering those questions. The Board of Elections in Georgia actually has to subpoena the group to get their one of their key witnesses from the movie because the group is claiming that this part that they don't want this witness to be intimidated. But if you're actually trying to provide justice for a stolen election, you want that information to be out there. You want to get that information to the proper people 
who can investigate it, but they're not giving that to them. That's raising a big red flag for me right now. Just want you guys to be aware of that because I know you're hearing a lot about it on talk radio. 232-1542. We're going to jump over to local and state news after this bottom of the hour break here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you'd like to join in the conversation. But, y'all, I have bad news. Unfortunately, the Louisiana House of Representatives has deemed me unworthy of a $2,000 raise as a teacher, so I will only be getting $1,500 as per uh, their 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 budget, which is passed. Um, it has to. Their uh, John Bell Edwards is hoping the Senate bumps it back up to $2,000. Uh, the teachers' unions are, as expected, very upset by this development. I've already gone over the. I, I went over this with y'all last week, but just to kind of say it again, I'm all for teacher pay raises. And full disclosure, I'm a teacher, so I'm I'm not a I'm 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 not a dispassionate observer here. But the extra five hundred dollars, what what made it a two thousand dollar pay increase, was coming from one time money, and that is entirely unacceptable. You cannot force an unfunded mandate. I love bringing that word back. It's like bringing back dope or something from the 90s as a, as a as a describer. It's just great. But these unfunded mandates, which is what this is, forcing school boards to pay this pay raise without having recurring money from the state to supplement that pay is a big no-no. Because as much as the state government would love to continue throwing money at the teachers, the school boards have to have that money on a near constant basis. And school boards are not getting tax bumps from their base right now, from, from their uh, voting base right now. They're not. Even here locally, as, as much as I can praise the school board, there's some things I don't agree with, but some things that they do, I think they do well. They have not been able to convince voters that some of the, uh, that some of uh, millage increases or renewals and things like that, just over the years, they've not been able to get those from the voters. And, you're, you're seeing that all over the place. Just school boards not getting the millages and the taxes and everything that they want from the voters. And so the state has to provide some of these because the, the districts can't raise more money for it. I mean, you had uh, the most recent election in St. Landry Parish. The voters outright denied that. Although, granted, the way that that, that uh, ordinance was uh, worded, there was a lot of concern that some of that money that was being raised for teachers wasn't actually going to go to teachers. But that's a whole different thing. Uh, And that would be a very St. Landry Parish thing to actually do. But um, there's not a whole lot of faith among voters right now to give school boards a little extra money. So if you're going to give one-time money to school boards and say, use this for a salary increase, well, the school boards can't. By state law, they cannot go back and undo that pay increase. You cannot lower a teacher's pay in the state of Louisiana. You can only keep it the same or increase it. And that's where we are in in that fight. The the issue with with increasing teacher pay right now, uh, a caller last week called in and and said, why would he give more and we're, we're still at the bottom? of the country in terms of performance. Well, 
you, you can't look at the teachers. The, the teachers can only do so much. You also need to look at the governing bodies over the schools. You need to look at what the legislature is doing. You need to look at what the governor is enforcing. You need to look at what the uh, Board of Elementary and Secondary Education is, is pushing. You also need to look at what your school boards are pushing and what policies they're implementing. And you will find that some of the policies and some of the procedures being pushed by these governing bodies simply do not create the best results in education. And that's where, frankly, you guys come in. If you're wanting to see this change, a lot of y'all just need to get out and be more involved. You need to substitute at your schools. You need to run for school board. You need to get out there and be more active in it. Uh, a friend of mine, Kira Davis, you guys have heard her sub for Dan Bongino before. There was an opening on uh, uh, in her local school board. Kira is now running for school board in the in the area that she resides, not because she wants to be a politician, but because she's a parent who's tired of seeing a lot of the policies in the California school system that are affecting her own kids, and she wants to make a change there. And so, if you're really concerned with the substandard output of the Louisiana education system, it's really incumbent on you as a voter to get more involved in that show up to school board meetings. I'm sorry to the people on the school board that I know and like for suggesting that more people come yell at y'all, but that needs to happen. It, it really needs to be more voices that are heard and more people that are getting involved. If you want to see what's going on in the schools, go sign up to be a substitute teacher. If you've got the time, it is an eye opening experience. I promise you, but going back to the issue, the house is going. It has uh, signed off on a fifteen hundred dollar pay increase for teachers. John Bell Edwards says he's happy with it and wants to see it get bumped back up to two thousand by the Senate. But right now, uh, he'd be happy with it. The teachers unions obviously want more. Uh, some conservatives, some folks want less or none at all. Um, I am not an unbiased observer in all this. I would love more money going into my bank account each month. Uh, but here we are. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation. Another local headline I want to get into briefly while I've got uh, some time. So I, I mentioned this yesterday. This is actually an update to something I mentioned locally yesterday. Uh, so the advertiser and the current won their lawsuit. Uh against Lafayette Consolidated Government. Remember, they had sued for the records of the investigation into uh, former interim police chief Wayne Griffin to, to basically say, okay, why was he fired? Because Griffin had had objected to his firing. There was no data, that, no information that came out. LCG said, no, we're not releasing it. We're, we're just blanket banning any of this from coming out. Um, and so the advertiser and the current took uh, LCG to court and they won. So that was, uh, mentioned that yesterday. Well, Andrew Capps at uh, The Advertiser, uh, who is a brilliant local government reporter, uh, has this story that came out yesterday evening. Former interim Lafayette Police Chief Sergeant Wayne Griffin was fired for violating policies that prohibit lying to investigators and harassment records show. Records won in a lawsuit launched by the Daily Advertiser and The Current in February show that Griffin was fired in a January 20th letter for violating LPD policies that prohibit, quote, knowingly making false or untrue statements and, quote, conduct unbecoming of an employee in dealing with fellow employees, supervisors, and superiors and or members of the public. Now, the contention is 
that some sort of sexual harassment was also involved. That's not specifically stated in the reason for the firing. Uh, However, uh, in a letter written by then interim uh, Lafayette Police Department Chief uh, Monty uh, Pache wrote in the termination letter, um, your actions have contributed to an embarrassment for the Lafayette Consolidated Government, the Lafayette Police Department, and our officers who proudly wear the badge and take pride in protecting and serving the citizens of the business community of the city of Lafayette. I would be remiss in my duties to uphold the accountability of the department and our officers if I did not administer disciplinary action. It was determined the best interest of the Lafayette Police Department and Lafayette Consolidated Government would be served by the termination of your employment. So, Griffin was dismissed in January. And the complaint of sexual harassment was sustained against him. That complaint, uh, according to the letter of termination, was sustained. In court, Griffin's attorney is arguing that records of the investigation should not have been released, claiming Griffin was not fired for sexual harassment, though his termination letter states he violated Lafayette Consolidated Government's harassment policies. So there's the update to that story. Uh, we now have more information based on the records that court, the courts ordered to be turned over to the media. Why Wayne Griffin was fired as interim police chief, and that's, of course, leaving Lafayette Consolidated Government once again, looking for possible candidates to take over as the new police chief in Lafayette. Hopefully, they are able to hire somebody soon. I think that uh, they had like five candidates who had applied. I think the last we heard, they were asking for an extension to try to get more applications in before they move forward. We'll see where that goes. Obviously, we here at KPL will continue on with that. We're going to go ahead and take a break here on the Joe Cunningham Show. We're going to be back in just a moment to talk of uh, some more stories in and around the state here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Switching over to some financial news. Again, just kind of rolling through a bunch of headlines today. Um, the first bit of financial news. I think uh, Ian talked about it this morning. A two-year-old orders 31 cheeseburgers on DoorDash after taking mom's phone. Parents, be sure that if you are using your phone to babysit your kids, I cannot judge if you do so, but if you are, turn it on airplane mode and use an app that shows them videos that are already downloaded because you do not want your kid to order 31 cheeseburgers using DoorDash on your phone. Texas mom, Kelsey uh, Burkhalter Golden was in for a very cheesy surprise when her toddler sneakily took her phone and ordered 31 cheeseburgers from McDonald's. Barrett, age two, cheekily grabbed his mom's cell phone to play some digital games, but wound up buying an excess of fast food burgers via DoorDash. So please make sure that if you let your kid have your phone to play games or watch videos, turn it on airplane mode and make sure all content that they are looking at is, uh, is down, is, is, is downloaded already. So they don't need the internet to download or watch anything new. Some big financial news today. The Dow tumbles 1160 points in worst trading day since June, 2020. I hate CNN and its ads, they suck and they now take up two thirds of the page when I just want to read the story. 
Markets have tumbled uh, tumbled over the past month as the Federal Reserve telegraphed that it would regularly hike interest rates by half a percentage points for, point for the foreseeable future. On Wednesday, the Dow shed more than 1,164 points, or 3.6, its biggest loss since June of 2020. The broader market lost 4%, putting the S&P 500 on the precipice of bear market territory. So a lot of what's happening here is actually a correction from the Trump era. The, the stock market had been riding some insane highs all during the Trump era, if you will recall. And a lot of investors were saying, there's no way this is sustainable. And every day, somehow it's sustained. Now, with everything going on right now, the market's had enough. It's now tumbling downward. Although, again, the losses are big. But the numbers are really seem to be in more of a correction territory than anywhere else. But in the financial world, everything's kind of happening all at once. You've got interest rates that are on the rise from the Fed. You've got the stock market, which is taking big tumbles. The new press secretary for the White House, by the way, when asked about the stock market, said, nah, that's not a metric we really look at day to day. Why? And then, of course, you have this. All those celebrities pushing crypto are not so vocal now. Crypto boosters such as Matt Damon, Reese Witherspoon, and Gwyneth Paltrow have been criticized for hyping virtual currency without highlighting the risks. Those risks, by the way, include about a trillion dollars worth of crypto value disappearing in recent days. Cryptocurrency has taken a massive hit and is losing its value. And that's really part of the problem with having a, a, a non-centralized currency like crypto. In the latest commercial from the virtual currency exchange, Crypto.com, titled Bravery is a Process, the star basketball player Joe Embiid walks through Philadelphia while Bill Self, his former college coach, lends the narration. What the ad doesn't say, the crypto market is in the middle of a meltdown. Buyers beware. Enthusiasm for crypto from Hollywood celebrities and top athletes reached a fever pitch over the last year on social media, during interviews and even in music videos, they portrayed virtual currency as a world with its own hip culture and philosophy. Now, granted, crypto was riding high. There was a ton of money in the crypto market, and they could pay celebrities a lot of money to endorse. And they did. But investors have watched hundreds of billions of dollars disappear in a sell-off this month. Those boosters now face intensifying criticism. I've been very skeptical of crypto. Of crypto. I have a lot of friends who are like, this is the future. We got to jump on it. Like the NFT thing, I, I don't trust digital currency. I don't trust what it is and what it's been doing and what it will do. And this is one of those reasons why. It is more volatile than our stock market, more volatile than the price of precious metals in the country. It's just not reliable. And there's no history to back up its reliability. When you invest, a lot of times you're looking at historical trends for your investments. That's why you look at some of the legacy stocks and things like that. That's why you know you have day traders, people who are looking at the ins and outs of the market, the, the new businesses that are coming in, the, the businesses that are established but making big moves. They make all these trades day by day. Most people who have some sort of investments typically don't do that day trading. They don't follow that. They just put their money. A lot of times if the investor uh, or the investment group they're going with has any experience whatsoever, they stick to proven uh, markets, they, proven stocks, uh, proven uh, management funds. And current, cryptocurrency is not that. Cryptocurrency 
is very risky. There is no history to it. And what we've seen out of crypto is incredible volatility. Oh, you know, when it first started out, I mean, you could see cryptocurrency, you could put a dollar in for cryptocurrency if you had the right app and watch it soar to $20 worth in about five minutes and then drop to $5 in the next five minutes. It was just too volatile because it was too new and because the means of getting cryptocurrency, of discovering cryptocurrency, because again, it's not physical, it's all code. And you have people that are farming that code essentially. And that's what gives it its supposed value. You have too much volatility. And what you're seeing right now is hundreds of billions of dollars being lost in cryptocurrency value. It's a major crash in another market. So you've got two market crashes over the last several days, the stock market and the cryptocurrency market. So what does that mean for you and me? Probably not a whole lot. If you're listening to this show, maybe you have some investments in cryptocurrency, but doubtful. But oftentimes, most of us are probably looking at the investment market a little bit, just kind of figuring, you know, we hear about the stock market, kind of looking at that. But if you have any sort of investments, chances are you're doing it through a mutual fund or something like that. Some some investor that you trust. I've got a financial planner that handles all my stuff. Highly recommend that you get a professional if you want to jump into this because they know what they're doing. But they stick with the trusted markets. They stick with, with what's proven. And cryptocurrency is not proven. Now, the stock market is another beast entirely. The stock market is very speculative. And right now... All the speculation is on a few things. One, the rising interest rates. Two, tech value plummeting. Because a lot of the major tech companies, I don't know if you know this, a lot of the major tech companies, instead of investing with the profits they were making, were taking out loans and 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 investing via those loans. And they were getting those, those rock bottom rates. Well, those loan, if, if those if the interest rates go up. The loans have to stop. And so now banks are struggling because they were getting so much money paid back from these tech companies. And it's just a whole kind of spiraling thing. And it's causing the tech markets to plummet, which is causing everything else to plummet as well. So there's volatility there because the tech companies are also, some of them fairly new and not really established. Some of them have been around for a while, but they, they're making these new jumps, these, these new practices. Bottom line is this. Pay attention, because if you're nearing retirement, you need to know what's happening right now because it does affect your 401k. If you're not near retirement, take a deep breath, relax, and regardless of whether you're near retirement or not, talk to a professional about it, because I don't know near enough to be able to give you actual financial advice other than what I know from my financial planner, who, by the way, is also my father. Um, because that's his chosen career and he's obviously smarter than me because I went into career fields that did not pay nearly as much as being somebody's financial advisor would. But seek a professional. Don't freak out about what's happening in the markets. That's going to do it for us here. We're going to be back in 23 hours here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and check out the podcast version of the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you guys real soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.